We appreciate you and all that you're doing. Um, but we live in unprecedented times, times that uh, none of us have experienced before. And if you look at the world around us, people are rocking and reeling. Uh, they're afraid to come into the building. You have people who are absolutely afraid to come into church. They'll go to the grocery store. They'll go wherever they won't come to church. And that's a whole other story. But anyway, there's, you know, so you have that end of the spectrum where people are afraid to interact, afraid to go anywhere. Um, then you have the other end of the spectrum of people who get mad because they have to wear a mask in church. And, you know, they get mad because they have to go out in public with a mask and all those things. Anybody heard this story before? <laughs> I, I, let me tell you how many times I've heard this story. Never mind, I won't do it. But we've all heard the story and there's, there's quite the spectrum. And it's not just the masks. If you take a look at the world in which we live, it's not just masks, there's hatred. Every time you turn on the news, there's hatred, there's destruction, there's, there's damage of property, there's arguing, there's bickering, back and forth, all these things. We should not be surprised. We should not find it a surprise that the days in which we live and what we're seeing, Jesus has told us repeatedly that we would see these days. And we're going to take a look at some of that today. But he also, not only does Scripture tell us that we're going to face these days, not only does the Bible tell us these days are coming and describes in detail the days in which we live, but it also tells us how we ought to live in the middle of it tells us how we ought to find Christ in the middle of these times. And so whether you're in the building or online or however you're watching this video, there is biblical instruction for you and I how we ought to live. There's warnings and there's also ways in which we are to live. So I'm going to jump into that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The, the book of Thessalonians, by the way, just kind of highlighting uh, what Paul's writing here to the church in Thessalonica. If you remember back, Paul went uh, to Thessalonian, to the, the Thessalonian church, church of Thessalonica, on a second missionary journey with Silas. Prior to going to Thessalonians, he, he was, uh, and by the way, the name of that city was changed. It was not the original name of the city, but prior to going to the church in Thessalonica, you remember he first stopped in, in Philippi. He was summoned to go to Macedonia by a dream, by a vision, and he goes on his missionary journey with Silas, and they get to Macedonia, they go through Macedonia, and one of the places they go is a place called Philippi. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 16, I'm not going to take the time to read it, it's a good, good place to study. How many of you remember the story of Paul and Silas in prison at the midnight hour after being beaten? They were singing praise to God, and what happened? He was delivered from the jail, and the, the jailer, the, the Philippian jailer was born again, right? Remember the story. So this is that journey. The church of Thessalonica came right after uh, that experience in Philippi. And they get to Thessalonica. It's a, it's a uh, newly started church, the, the Thessalonian church. Matter of fact, First uh, Thessalonians is probably one of the first, if not the first letter that Paul wrote. It was the, one of the first epistles that, that Paul would have written um, right alongside of Galatians, right there at the very beginning. It's one of the earliest books of the New Testament, written probably about 20 years after, after Jesus' resurrection. So this, this, is a, this book, this teaching is so crucial, so important, and it's written to this church that experienced some pretty significant hardship, the 
Macedonian, if you remember, you know, you got Philippi and all the Macedonians, everything that's happening there. And Thessalonica, remember the man named Jason, who they drug out into the city center and beat and, and arrested him. And the phrase that everybody said, the Jews were saying, these are the men, Paul, Silas to Jason, these are the men that have turned the world upside down and they've come here also. This is Thessalonica. So this is where Paul's writing to. I want you to just have context of what we're dealing with today. It's a, it's a city that was full of cultic worship and, and uh, depravity. And yet there's here in the middle of it is a church that God is raising up and Paul's writing to them. And he's writing to them. We pick up in, in chapter 4. He's writing to them about the coming of Christ. Now, this is so awesome to me because it's 20 years after the resurrection. Now we're, what, 2,000 years plus after the resurrection, and we're still being reminded of these words and the power of these words. And, and so Paul teaches them, I'm going to start actually at the end of the chapter and kind of work backwards. Um, and if your phone is not on vibrate, I would encourage you to put it in stun mode uh, so none of the rest of us are disturbed. You just get a little jolt. It's all good. So I'm going to start in verse 13 of Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So pause. Paul's saying, I am writing to you in, in this section of the text. I want to address for you those who have died, fallen asleep in Christ. And we do not sorrow as those who have no hope. So he's leading up to there is a hope that we have in Christ that death is not the end. Death is only the beginning. Death is a transition point. Death for the believer is just a stepping out of this life into the next life. It's crossing. It's merely a bridge crossing from what we know in the, in the mortal world into immortality. It's stepping into eternity with Christ. And so he says we have a hope. We don't sorrow like our, uh, other people sorrow. Have you ever, have you ever uh, watched uh, people who have no hope sorrow? And what that sorrow looks like. It's, it's despair. It's, it's gloom and doom. There's, there's nothing to hold on to. It's, they're dead. They're gone. And there's, there's nothing else to hold on. I've, I've been in many funerals and, and have had the honor to do many funerals and walk with families through, through death and that transition. And, and I've watched people with hope and people without hope. And it's distinctly different. I've watched as people have died with hope and died with Christ and those who have not. And it's distinctly different experiences. And so what Paul is saying here, this ought to be different for you and I. What you and I are going through, whether, whether we're facing a loved one dying or it's a pandemic killing people or whatever, it's, it's mass murder, whatever it is, whatever we're facing, we don't approach it the same way as worldly people. We don't, we, don't, we don't face it the same as those who have no hope because we have a hope. Even, even in mass murder, even in mass death, even in, 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 the, in the pandemics of the world, whether, whether, it's a, whether its name is COVID or anything else, we don't approach it the same way. We have hope. Say, I have a hope. I have a hope. I'm anchored. Paul said to, in Hebrews, I am anchored in Christ. He is the anchor. He's the hope of my soul. 
Verse 14 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So who is responsible for this? God will bring with those who are asleep. Those who have died in Christ, God is handling. Isn't it good to know that you and I in our death, whatever we face, God's got it. To the Philippian church, Paul wrote, whether I die is Christ, if to live is Christ, to die is gain. Whatever, God's got this. Whether I live or I die, I'm okay. It's all in his hands. Verse 15 says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So those who are asleep in Christ, what, what we're getting ready to read, what's, what the, the shaking that's going on is going to shake down under first. And, and those who are dead, you'll get that later. Those who are dead in Christ, something's going to happen to them first. He tells us, verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Now, if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. Say, Pastor, will everybody hear it? Well, I don't know why they wouldn't. It's a, it's, the, Jesus is coming down from heaven. I don't know how you could miss that. I don't, you know, I don't know how you could miss that. Wherever you is, I don't know how that's missable. And he's, he's you know, I, 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 never mind. For the Lord will descend from heaven and he'll come with a shout. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder what it sounds like when Jesus shouts. <laughs> ah, I wonder, he, he sang a hymn on the way to, to the garden, but I wonder what happens when Jesus starts shouting. <laughs> Why is he shouting? The Bible tells us that even only the Father knows the hour that the time is appointed. You know, there's, there's this the interesting dynamic here where the Son, uh, though they are three in one, there is some sort of limitation on this understanding of the day and the time to the Father. We don't fully comprehend this in the natural, but, but we know that that's what Jesus said, that even the Son of Man and the angels do not understand the days and the times appointed in this. So there, there's a unique uh, dichotomy there, but the point is, is that when Jesus comes back, when, when the Father says go, he's leaving the throne with a shout and stepping down into creation again. Not as, not as a baby, not, <laughs> not as a baby to be, to be crucified on a, on a cross. He's, he's coming back as a conquering king to gather his children, you and I, both the dead and the living, shall be with him for eternity. If you're not shouting, your shout is wet this morning and you need to light a fire under it. Jesus is coming back with a shout. <laughs> He's coming for me. And the voice of an archangel. This isn't just one of the wimpy guys. <laughs> you know, we don't see anywhere in scripture where any of the angels are wimpy. Every person that has an angelic encounter falls flat on their face in fear and trembling. <laughs> So we got, we got Michael, we got Gabriel, or whoever. I, I'm imagining that Gabriel is going to have some sort of response here. And the trumpet of God. <laughs> now, this is going to supersede any trumpet that you've ever heard. 
we, we've, we've had and heard in services, you know, the, the trump, we've done different trumpet things and, you know, ex- sounds just to give you the, the idea. But the trumpet of God, the blast that will wake the dead. And the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, I, I don't know what the, you know, anybody seen the Left Behind series and all those, you know, it's so funny how we try to portray this. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if you're going to have a pile of clothes on the floor or what's going to happen. Lord, I hope you keep your clothes on. I do not want to see you in the rapture like that. Anyway, I don't, I don't know what's going to, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what's going to happen, but we know that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. If you haven't seen the Left Behind series, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's okay. <laughs> I always wondered, why, how did they get that? I don't know. I, I guess you get that from that we're going to be clothed. We have new glorified bodies and clothed with heavenly garments. I guess that's where, hey, I'll, I'll take glorified clothes over designer earthly clothes any day. 17 says, then we who are alive, we who are alive, are you alive this morning? Okay, just making sure. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. <clears throat> I, I'm waiting. I, I, I don't know. There have been times in his presence where I have felt like that moment could happen any moment. You know, it's like that the gravity could let loose at any moment. There's coming a day where the law of nature will, and I want you to think about this. It's not off everybody. The law of gravity, the law of nature is going to break loose only on those who are his. Think about that. Think about that. Everybody else is still under that, that law. Everybody else is still, you know, it's just like we've been liberated from the law of sin and death. But there's, there's some of us that have been, that, that law of sin and death is still in effect. It's still happening. It's still very much. But those of us in Christ have been liberated from that. We're under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So it's the same. There, there's some who are still going to be operating under that old law. When Jesus comes back, the law of gravity is going to Hold on to them, and the rest of us are going flying. <laughs> and thus, we shall always, everybody say always, always, always be with the Lord. That's, that's it. Always. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, that was all awesome, right? That was good stuff. So we know that that's coming. That's our hope. That's our hope. Whether you're dead or alive, you're, you're going to be caught up together with Christ in the air. Whether, whether you took flying lessons or you didn't, it's still happening. Whether you understand gravity or not, it's still happening. Whether you get it fully or you don't, it's still coming. The day and the hour is coming. The moment is coming. Corinthians tells us that it will happen in an atomic second. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, this mortal will shed its mortality and put on immortality. That those who are dead in Christ, will those, those dead, decaying bodies, wherever they are, are going to be glorified glorified, transformed in a moment of time. In a moment of time. People say, well, pastor, should, you know, do cremated people go in the rapture? You know, there's, I've heard so many questions about this. Listen, in an atomic second, glorified bodies, wherever you are, are caught up together with them in the clouds. But he gives us some instruction in the first half of chapter 4. We, we, we always jump to 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 
18. But there's some instruction about how to prepare and how we ought to live for this day. So I just want to highlight that I'm going to tag my wife into the sermon this morning. Verse 1 says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Verse 1, you should be abounding in your walk with God more and more. If, you're, if your spirituality is on a decline, that's not the life you ought to be living. Don't shout me down, I'm telling you the truth. He's he, Right here, very clearly, your spirituality, your walk with the Lord ought to be abounding more and more. From one, one glory, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, from one degree of glory to the next. Constantly increasing, constantly growing, never backing up, never, never growing weary, never pressing back or, or giving in to the enemy, but pressing on into Christ. Okay, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. (laughs) Just pause there. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That you are constantly, continually being changed and transformed from one glory to the next. From We are beholding the glory of the Lord and being changed, being sanctified into that image. And then he gives them some very practical things. You should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. That each of you ought to know how to take care of your body. Each of you should know how to live morally right. You've, that's what it says. You've, you've been taught the word. You know how this ought to go. You know what life you ought to be living. So you should be living morally correct. And do it in a way that is of sanctification, being changed into his image, and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse 6, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter. So, so he takes it a step further and says, not only should you be sexually pure, but you shouldn't be manipulating and defrauding one another in using sexual matters. Y'all are quiet up in here. This is, what, this, this is in the Bible. I'm just reading to you scripture. It's right here. We don't hear this preached very often in the church these days. But, but the Bible addresses what we're living in, in the mess that we're living in today. It addresses it. It addresses the sexual immorality in the world today. It's right here. Uh, and it keeps going. Verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. Therefore, listen, verse 8. If you get mad at me, I'm just going to read verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject me, but God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. So that's what it says. Verse 9 says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for this. So the, Thessal- the church in Th- Thessalonica was uh, demonstrating this brotherly love. It's included. Paul highlights this in here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit for their encouragement, but also as a reminder to you and I that we ought to be walking in brotherly love. If we are walking in this phileo, the brotherly love, we won't be taking advantage of one another, and there won't be sexual misconduct and all of the other things. Don't shut me down. 
And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase. Here it is again. He says it again. More and more. I want you to abound. I want you to increase more and more. That you also aspire to lead. Now, you need to highlight these in your Bible. This, this, I'm telling you, this verse will it'll hit you right in the forehead. That you aspire to lead what? A quiet life. I love this. The Bible says, M-Y-O-B, right here. Mind your own business. It says it right here in the Bible. It's right here. Mind your own business. <laughs> Lead a quiet life and mind your own business. <laughs> I just, I just... I, I want to just take, go ahead, get your phone out, take a picture of Pastor Zach so you can post this on Facebook with the scripture, mind your own business. You can do it. I'll give you a second. It's, it's good. This is, it's in the Bible. <laughs> it's, you know, we, it will it'll keep you out of trouble. That's for sure. That's why Paul's writing this. He says, I want you to keep growing in God. I don't want you to keep getting ensnared in the affairs of the world. What's, what is happening in the day in which we live, we live in a social media day that is not really community. Yeah. Can I just pause and highlight this? We've, we have substituted social media and virtual church, virtual interaction for community, and it's not. It is, it is a means of encouragement, yes. It's a, it's a means of staying connected and kind of knowing what's going on, but it is not community. What it has become is the opposite of mind your own business. People are stalking people on Facebook and social for the point of what? Knowing their business. I just want to know what you're doing. You, did you have Pav's ice cream, Pastor? Did you, eat your, did you eat your ice cream? Yes, I did. And it was yummy. <laughs> But, but we want to know what everybody's business is. So how do I stay up in the know? And when it used to be, we'd actually say, hey, let's sit down for dinner or lunch or go grab coffee. Let's, let's interact together. And it was community. It wasn't about trying to get into somebody's business. It was about having relationship. Now we just want to know what people are doing because we got our nose all stuck up in their... Never mind. Business. It's up in their business. Thank you. <laughs> so, so, continue. First, that's just so that you would aspire to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and to work with your own hands. Now, one of the reasons Paul, he echoes, by the way, this verse is echoed in Thessalonians chapter 3, 10, uh, chapters, chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. And he, he says basically along the same lines again. They didn't get it the first time, so he had to write it again the second time. But working with your hands, it, this is interesting. There were some folks in the church that succumbed to the idea that once I get born again, that I can just, I can chill out. I don't have to work. I don't have to take care of my family. I don't have to do, I'll just, I'm just waiting for the coming of the Lord. I'm just going to sit back and chill and wait for his coming and not work. And he says, you need to work with your own hands. Take care of yourself. 
And he says, why? In verse 12, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. If there's lack in your life, the first thing you need to ask yourself is, am I working? It's really simple. I don't, don't throw anything at me. I, just, I, I know you all want those stimulus checks from the government. I, and I'm expecting that you tithe off of them. And I, I, know, that, I know that. I get that. But, but we are working. If you are able to work, you are working with your hands. God has willed that you work. And it, the, 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 more, the more that you know Jesus, the better worker you ought to be. Okay, all right. So anyway, I'm going to turn it over to my wife. <laughs> all right, we're going to go to Matthew 25, talking about the second coming. So I want to take a look at Matthew 25 with the ten virgins. We'll start in verse 1. And it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him in the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, As surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And I love this. It's beautiful, 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 and it's scary all at the same time. And if it doesn't scare you, you better listen up. Get the wax out. So I love this. So it's the, the bridegroom. And the bride, the bride waiting for her bridegroom to come. And this is the church. This is all of us sitting in here today. Some wise, some foolish. And the, the, the only separating factor for us to be able to differentiate who is the wise and who is the foolish is on that day when he comes. But I tell you what, I'm going to heed to the example of Scripture and I'm going to prepare my soul, right? And so it talks about, it says, now five of them are wise and five foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. And what I hear and what I see in this scripture is that these are the people that say, check, I love Jesus. I love him. I might read my Bible sometimes. I probably do go to church. I do this and I do that. But you know what? I also like life. I also like doing what I want to do. I also like my own opinions. I also like people to think highly of me. I like myself. So what it preaches to me, what it begins to tell me is, oh, Heather, you need to live a life that you're not going to see how close to the edge of sin you can get without crossing over. It tells me, oh, babe, you better.
better go into the holy of holies and keep oil in your lamp. It's not about that I got filled at the altar yesterday, that I read my Bible every day last week, so this week I'm smooth sailing. I can go as I please, but I better live a life that puts oil in my lamp every day, that although I'm filled yesterday, that although I had a good word this morning, I'm going to put my face like flint before the Lord, and I'm going to press in for more, that there's more for me, that there's more for me, that there's more for me, that I don't have to worry about whether or not I've got oil or not, I'm going to get filled and filled and filled that I don't have to question that my lamp can't run out because there's a constant fountain flowing from heaven into my inner man because I don't want to be counted foolish on that day. Then I, I think it's hilarious. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. All of us, the foolish and the wise. And at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, he's coming, he's coming. And if you, you research it in the day, so, so really the bridegroom would come, right, to go to the bride's, the bride's home. And imagine pitch black, like I imagine the African safari. Hey, hey. You can't see anything. You can't see an African out there, right? I mean, like it is dark. But in way off in a distance, you can see a little light. And when the, the, when, the, when the brides, when they would begin to see, the virgins would see the light, they would trim their lamps. And that means that they would cosmetically get ready, right? Just like, hey, Zach will text, hey, I'm on my way home. Immediately, we all get up really quick, and we do a quick walkthrough of the floor of the house, right? Picking up any extra toys and things, right? You want to just get ready for dad to come home. But by golly gee whiz, if we have been like crazy and not worried about it, when dad comes home, it's an absolute wreck. We can't wait till the last minute, right? So the same thing with the virgins. The, the five wise, as they go to trim their lamps, everything's in order. Everything's in order. So they just got to brush their hair a little bit, maybe put some lipstick on, right? Fluff out the dress because their bridegroom is there. It's just enough time to come. And so an example of this, so how many of you, you know, with kids, when they're really little and they fall and hurt themselves, you like run to them and you kiss their boo-boo and you do all that stuff, right? And then as they get a little older and they fall and you're like, I'm sorry, it hurt. You all right? You going to be okay? You need a hug? Is there blood? Right? Well... <laughs> A couple weeks ago, when we're on the trail and Jonathan starts going off, it was kind of like that in my mind. Like, Jonathan, Jonathan, get back on the trail. Jonathan, Jonathan, go straight, Jonathan. And then, oh, no, he's going to go off. But surely there's going to be dirt for him to fall on. So as I go to get off my bike and I realize he's gone down, is when I see my son floating face down in the water. And in that moment of time, it was like the virgins with the bridegroom. The bridegroom's coming. And I went from, boy, you should have gone straight when I told you to go straight, to I'm getting my kid out of that water. It was a moment of time, a split second that was alive or death to put into action or not put into action. How much more with the coming of Christ? 
We can all sit here and say that, oh, they've been saying that since 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. It's 2,000 years later. But I tell you what, there's a moment coming where you and I breathe our last. There's a moment coming when, when Jesus is coming on the clouds. And we won't have time to say, hmm, is that him or is that not him? You know, I really think, you know, let me just go, let me go hit that pipe one more time. Oh, let me go call him one more time. Let me go check and make sure that they know that I was right one more time. Right? Like, all that stuff isn't going to matter. It didn't matter. Look, it didn't matter whether Jonathan was listening or not. The, one of the first things Zach said, he didn't even realize how bad it was. And he said, well, did you correct him for not listening to you? I didn't care if he was listening or not at the time. I just wanted my son alive. Right? I, you don't really care. You just want to make sure it's right. How much more for you and I in the coming of Christ, that you and I are the wise virgins, that we've got oil in our lamps, that we're living a life that is constantly filling ourselves with more of Christ. So when we begin to see him coming, that our feet would begin to elevate, as pastor said, because we're, 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 we're prepared. We're in that moment. And the foolish said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. And the wise are like, hey, hey, <laughs> I, at this point, I can't. You and I, we cannot live off of someone else's faith. We can't live off of our spouse's faith. We can't live off of our pastor's faith. We can't live off of our children's faith. We have to have a relationship with Christ above all others. Above all others. It's you and Jesus. On the day of days, it's you before the throne of Christ. You'll have to answer for how you treated others. You'll have to answer for how you honored others. But you will first and foremost have to answer whether you have lived for Christ Jesus yourself. You and you alone. Let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Just really quick. Sorry. Tag my husband back in a second. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. And it says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It doesn't matter that other people are just going about day-to-day -day life. Let us keep watch. Let us be on the mountaintop looking out. Let us be on the wall looking. And then we go to Ephesians 5 and 29, and it says, For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. You and I have a choice. Is it, is, do we love ourselves? Do we love ourselves enough to live holy? Do we understand the life that Christ has given us is not our own? It is not our own. We live for another world. And if I'm going to love my children, I'm going to preach and teach Christ. And that is not only by actions. That is not only by taking them to church on Sundays. But it is about living a lie for the heavenlies. Living a lie for the other world. And so I want to read Galatians really quick. Galatians 5. And it says, then I walk in the Spirit. We're talking about filling our vessels with oil, preparing for the day of the bridegroom. That if I'm going to walk in the Spirit, I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. 
so that you don't do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now listen. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. That includes those, what, those Scorpio, Aquarius, what are those things? Astrology thingamabob. Horoscopes. Hatred. Hatred. Contentions. Jealousies. Outburst of anger. Selfishness. Dissensions. Wow! Heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. It's disgusting. And yet, the church, I'm not saying this church, I'm not saying you, right? My eyes are closed makes exceptions and justifications for the idiotic actions of self. Look, ask my staff, ask my husband. I will be the first one repenting to them for, oh my gosh, I was so ugly. I am so sorry. Being a believer does not allow us the opportunity to justify our sin right? We have to begin to look like Jesus, and that means that if we can't lead an example, we lead in repentance. And guys, this goes for Facebook. Oh, you should not be talking on Facebook in private message or in public with your old boyfriend or girlfriend from high school. There you go. Someone, it's talking to you. Sorry, there goes the Holy Ghost. Facebook is not your platform to preach your own thing. That is absolutely stupid because it's not scripture. It's your opinion, and you're mad, and you're angry, and you think you know the best. But guess what? I'm so sorry. I have the microphone. I'm just worried about your oil, your lamp being full with oil, right? And so the next time we go to post something on Facebook, Let's read Galatians 5 first. Can we do that? Can you do that? I'll do that. Right? It's a pause. The next time you want to respond in anger on that email or that text message. You know, we have a, 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 a quiet policy that we ask of, of all of our staff, and that is that anyone that we're dealing with, whenever a situation gets heightened, we wait 24 hours to respond because it doesn't even matter. You tr doesn't matter how much you try. Come on. Think about your spouse. Think about your parent. Think about your, your brother or sister, right? When you're in a heated argument, regardless, and you're trying to do the right thing, and you're going to go and you're going to repent or whatever and make it right, and something comes out of your mouth, and it comes out in the opposite tone that we met, went right, Selfish ambitions, jealousies, hatred, contention, contentions, idolatry. 
says, I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When the trumpet sounds, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. We don't have to be right. We just have to be washed with the blood of Jesus. When we're washed with the blood of Jesus, all of that stuff doesn't matter. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Hey, if you don't have peace in your life, get rid of something. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. By golly gee whiz. Gentleness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the life spent walking with Him. The, gift, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, people say, well, I prophesy and I this and I that. Look, Scripture tells us you prophesied in my name, but I don't know you. Depart. The gifts are not a place of maturity. The fruit is a place of maturity. And so you and I want to know, is my lamp full today? Well, I don't know. Let's take a look at Galatians 5, because if I'm walking in love, if I'm walking in peace, if I'm walking in long-suffering, if I'm walking in gentleness, if I am walking in self-control, then I just might have a lamp that's full today, because I am full of Christ. If I get pushed, Christ Jesus comes out. I don't want to get pushed and have Heather come out. I don't want to have outburst of anger. I don't want my kids to grow up and look back and say, wow, mom, she had a temper. Mom always was telling people off. I want them to look back and say, oh, wow, I never saw that in my mom. I always saw my mom as loving and generous. I always saw my mom as the person that everybody ran to for help and in their time of need. My mom is a person that people wanted to be around. Why? Because I was walking with Jesus. Jesus is either going to make people run and turn the other way, or he's going to draw people into you. If we go back to Matthew, it says afterwards, well, let's see. Verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And I always go back to the day of the flood, when the last animals went in, and Noah shut that door. He shut the door. Whatever was not inside the belly of the ark was lost. And so it shall be on the day of his return, that when the door is shut, it's shut. There isn't a last call. The last call's already been done. And I'll, I'll leave you with this as I turn it back over to my husband. How many of you are enjoying the Daily Spark? We have one person listening to the Daily Spark. Praise the Lord. The Daily Spark is an awesome devotional done online. If you're online, you can check out our Daily Spark. And R.T. Kendall wrote the book, 40 Days with the Holy Spirit. And this past week, one of my days, or the day that I did, talked about um, when R.T. was a young boy in the 40s or 50s. And he was um, in a service with an evangelist. And the evangelist was preaching. And then he said, he says, someone's receiving their last call right now. And he couldn't 
close the service. And he's like, hey, it's your last call. Your hour has come. You're not right with Christ. And no one would come forward. And the evangelist was like, I'm not leaving. How many of y'all have heard that when we're doing an altar call? We're not moving anywhere. There's someone, in, and it's not even the last call. It's just that we know that God's pulling on someone's heart. And no one would come forward. And so after a while, the evangelist passes back to the pastor. And the pastor agrees and confirms that the evangelist hasn't lost his mind. It is someone's last call. And time went on, and no one comes forward. And so eventually the people go home. So the next day after school, R.T. goes, and he's delivering newspapers. And he comes home from delivering those newspapers, and his mom says, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? And he's like, what are you talking about? He says, so-and-so was walking home from school today and got hit by a car, and she's no longer here. And R.T. is a young boy. It impacted his life to go back. And to remember the night before that his friend, his schoolmate, was in service. She was making fun of that evangelist. And it sealed the deal for him of understanding that when the door is shut, that there's a last call for each and every one of us. And, and, and it's time for us as the church, as the body of Christ, to not say, hmm. I know the signs are there, and I know that eventually Christ is coming back. But you know, today, I'm just ticked off because I'm right. They're wrong. But instead, treating every day as our last call and filling up our lamps with oil, that we might be, be prepared for the day our bridegroom comes back. So that when we hear the trumpet and we get up to trim our lamps, we're not having to fall on our face to repent for a life without him. But we get to truly say, Lord, I'm ready. Take me home. Amen. Amen. I'm going to jump back. She was in 25 of Matthew. I'm going to go back to 24 and wrap up today. But in Matthew 24, y'all still with us? Yes. Matthew 24. Um, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start in verse 4. And then I'm, I'm going to skip around. But Matthew 24, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed. Now he's talking to his disciples. So I'm speaking to you as disciples of Christ this morning. He says, Take heed that no one deceives you. That tells me that the opportunity for deception is going to be prevalent. That you can be deceived by false teaching. Um, and I, let me say this. We think a lot of times, and you know, when we when we talk about the Antichrist and the message that is deception, you know, Paul told Timothy that there'll come teachers in the last days preaching heresy, basically. But but the people of the church will what? They'll be bringing in teachers to themselves that tickle their ears, that make them feel good. So when we when we talk about deceptive teaching. It's, it's cunning, it's crafty, it's, it's less about the overt. Most of us recognize overtly, doctrinally erred message. You know, when someone's preaching something that doesn't line up with the gospel, uh, you know, for example, someone's preaching or teaching something that says that there's another way to heaven. Obviously, we know that's clear. Jesus said, I am the only way. But what, what the, where the deception comes in, it's very cunning, it's very crafty, um, and, and it's very easy. The easy deception is when you can not discern truth 
from falsehood. So that's why Jesus is using this word, do not be deceived. He's not talking about an outright lie or heresy, although that, that qualifies. But the word here is the deception, that there is something, it's, it's deceptive. When something is deceptive, you don't always recognize it for what it is. It, it appears as truth. It looks like it's real. It looks like it's truth. But when you dig into it, it it's, it's fallacy. There's not depth. Does that make sense? So he's warning them to watch out for this. For many will come in my name saying, I'm Christ. Well, we, we get that that's, okay, we've seen that. We've lived that. Okay, this sign has happened how many times over and over. And they'll deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's all around us. Seeing that you are not troubled, what does it say? Don't be troubled. All of these things must come to pass. But what? The end is not yet. This is just the beginning. When you hear of wars, rumors and wars of wars and seeing deception. Now, we've been seeing this for a while. We've seen these things for a little bit. I'm not making a prediction on when Jesus is coming back, but I would say that we've been in that boat for a little bit. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of sorrows. Can I just add a note there that we've seen nothing yet. We think that this pandemic is horrid, and it is, but it's only the beginning of sorrows in the world. So if it is, if this, if what you're experiencing today is rocking you, if what you're experiencing today is keeping you out of community and fellowship with the church, if what you're seeing and experiencing today is causing you to slide back into sin and to temptation and living carnally, what are you going to do when the troubles really hit? If your doctrine is not deep enough to sustain you today, if your relationship with Christ is not filled today, the oil is not overflowing today, What's going to happen when reality sets in? Because verse 9 happens. <laughs> it gets better. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. I was good with earthquakes. I was good with pandemic. We didn't have to go any further. It was good. I, I'm, going, I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not political. I'm not getting into political debates and saying this, but I'm telling you what transpires over the next three to six months is going to determine a lot of what unfolds in relationship to this scripture. That's all I'm going to say about that. You're going to be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And verse 10 says, and then many will be offended. <laughs> Wow, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, are you living here in Akron, Ohio? Did you know this? <laughs> Many will be offended. I'm telling you, offense is running rampant in our day. I, I, I just want to pause for a moment on this. Offense... Why, why is offense running around? Because people are getting caught off guard by all of these other things 
Their doctrine, their relationship with Christ is not deep. He's talking to the church. They're, who they are in Christ is, is a surface-level experience. It was a prayer at an altar. It, was a, it never has gone further. And when life happens, that's not going to sustain you. And it's going to be easy to be offended. And you'll be offended by those who have something deeper than you. That's where the offense comes in. When people challenge you to rise up to, you know, maybe somebody's been offended this morning. You know, because that's, that's where we get offended, right? We don't, hear with, we don't hear with the ears of the Spirit. We're not listening with the ears of the Spirit. Clearly, we're, we get offended by it. The Word offends us. The truth offends us. And we're living in a day where truth is offensive. People can't, people can't even say... In, in the day in which we live, people can't even say, well, that's how you feel. That's not how I feel. Even just the simple opinions are offensive, let alone the truth of the gospel. I have watched over the past six months, people have an absolute hatred for the gospel. Things I, I have been shocked at the things that I've witnessed where people used to just say, Oh, that's, that's Jesus, that's Christianity, that's their thing. I don't necessarily like it or agree with it, but okay. Where today people are absolutely in full-on hatred over the gospel, over Christianity. This, it is making room, let me say this, and I'll keep reading. It is making room for the Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is not, you know, we often think about the man who's going to lead the world in rebellion. And that is, that is part of the Antichrist message. But the room that is given, the, the, the preparation that has made, been made for that man or that person to rise up in authority, that groundwork is being laid today. It's, it, that, I believe that person is already in existence. I believe that, that there is things working in motion right now. But, but I also believe that the groundwork for that man to rise up is right here in this verse. Verse 10, that many will be offended and betray one another. That you have nation rising against nation. You have, there's all of this conflict. And even in the church, there's an offense. People are betraying one another and hating one another. And out of this rises a man who says, I can bring peace to it all. Um, uh, that's, that's scary, but it's reality. And we can see, if you have eyes to see, this pandemic is not just about another virus or a vaccine or this or that, whether the president responded or he didn't or the governor got sick or he didn't. Blah. It's vomit. <laughs> Get off of it already. That's not what this is about. It's not what this is about. What we are fa- Yes, it's reality, but what we are facing is right here. We're reading it right here. And because lawlessness will abound... Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. The love of many will grow cold. We are are witnesses of this. If there's anything that, and Heather nailed it on the head when she said, we have to keep our vessels full of oil. If you're busy about staying filled with God, filled with His Word, filled with His Spirit, living in His fullness, you have to, listen, you have to stay occupied with being filled with Him. 
You cannot be occupied with the works of this world. You have to be occupied with being filled, being saturated in him. And if you are not, you will find yourself in this danger. Lawlessness abounding, hatred abounding, offense abounding. It's so interesting to me. I've watched this unfold so much recently. And it's, as I'm reading this, it's just... It's like it's leaping off the pages even as I'm reading it right now because I've seen this even in the past week, two weeks, three weeks. I've seen this lived out so vividly, so vividly. Offense in church. I'm telling you, I'm not telling you everybody in our church is offended, but I'm just saying I've watched it. I've witnessed it happen, and it's the least little thing. Like she, she didn't say this, or he didn't do this, or she didn't, and all of a sudden, offense springs up. And, and people leave the church over it. It's crazy to me. It, but the, it's people who are not drinking, keeping their oil, not keeping their vessels full. They're lost in the being occupied in the stuff of the day. I can't be full of His Spirit and walk in offense at the same time. I can't be walking in the fullness of His peace and His joy, living in hatred and anger towards my brothers and sisters. Does that mean that anger and all of those things doesn't come? Sure they come. I was mad at somebody this week, a couple of somebodies this weekend. I thought, my goodness, get, get right. Come on, just get right with Jesus. It would make life so much easier. But, but that, I didn't live that. I didn't stay there. I didn't live that out. Does anybody hear me? I didn't burst out in some outrage of anger. I had my personal issues that had to go turn on my worship and say, okay, and I've got to put people around me who are going to speak life and encouragement. Come on, somebody. And I have to get myself in alignment and say, this is not how I'm going to live. I'm going to occupy myself with him. Good preaching, Pastor. I can encourage myself. <laughs> but he who endures till the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. We're, we're living it out, friend. Let me say this about, uh, and I, I'm going to wrap this up, I promise. But he endures to the end. If you're not careful, the tendency when you read that is that all of a sudden you have, you're, you're now the runner in a marathon and you're, you're running a race that you can't finish. If you go through and you read, read scripture, the, the race, this life, is not designed that you are to complete it in your own strength. And it, it is a temptation of the carnal man to read this, that now all of a sudden I'm in a race enduring to the end, and you do not have the strength or the ability in your own self to do it. That's why Heather read what she read earlier. Is the virgins, the wise, had to be filled with their oil. They had to have their lamps trimmed and their oil filled. That is the, that is the essence of Scripture. That if you take that word out of context, you now think all of a sudden, I'm, I'm running and I'm running and I'm running, and you become a rat on the Christian rat race. And you're not living the life you're called to because you're consumed by trying to run in a race that that God never called you to. I run the race. Yes, the scripture makes the analogy of races, but it's in Christ. In Christ. 
I'm going to keep reading. That's not, I, don't, I don't want to preach that. I, I just want to highlight it. If you keep go down um, to verse 36, and then I'll wrap this up. I know, I've said that a couple times. But I want you to know I'm getting there. Verse 36. But of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, Heather read it earlier and referenced it earlier. So as the days of Noah, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. They did not know until the flood came. It's so, in that, that verse jumps out at me because Noah was warning his generation. Not only was Noah warning his generation, remember a man named Enoch who was and was not, for God took him. And he had James, uh, says later that he had this testimony that he walked with God and he warned his generation of coming, five generations, I think it was five generations before the flood, that he's warning People at that time of coming judgment. Methuselah was, was the man alive. Methuselah saw the generation that entire time span. Can you imagine living? If you go back and study the genealogies, Methuselah saw from before Enoch started warning all the way he died the week of the flood. Crazy. They were eating, giving in marriage, all of those things. And they didn't know it was coming until it was already on them. Have you ever been in, in a situation where you didn't know that something was happening? You didn't realize it was happening until it was staring you in the face. You just got caught up in life, caught up in the moment, um, just whatever was going on. And then you, then you realize it. Whoa. We just give you an example. Zoe, every once in a while, well, she'll have a bad dream. And we were sleeping a couple weeks ago. We were sound asleep in the middle of the night. And the next thing you hear is Zoe and her high pitch. Ah! <laughs> help, help, help. It sounded like somebody was in her room. And what does mom and dad do simultaneously? Whoop, we're wide awake. What's going on? <laughs> my thought is, where's my gun? And Heather's like, what's going on? I mean, we're trying to figure out what's, you know, Zoe uh, is mass pandemonium, you know, in the middle of the night. <laughs> reality set in, right? We have those moments where reality hits us square in the face. They heard it. They had heard it for generations. Jesus was coming, or judgment was coming. Jesus is coming too. But judgment was coming. They had heard it for generations. And now all of a sudden it was staring them in the face. Verse 40, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One taken, the other will be left. I want to pause on that and say this. If Bible statistics are accurate, ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, two in the field, one taken, one left, two at the mill, one taken, one left. Are you seeing the Bible statistics? Half, half taken, half left. It's scary. Just a thought, just pointing that out. I'm not suggesting that that is true. I'm just making observation. Tag, my wife's tagging. So listen, this is, this is a passion. So I am born again, right? I, look, as much as I was um, on the streets, Kathy, 
I was so clueless in so many different ways. So gullible, right? And so I'm like, hey, we get born again. The Bible's everything. We're going to live our life like the Bible. So Katrina happens, and eight of my friends um, evacuate with me to my parents' house, and it was all ministers of the gospel and teachers of the word and worship leaders. And then, like Katrina happens, like COVID happens, and they all start acting like the devil, Question whether God even existed. I love Jesus more than you. Look at my actions. And I'm like, who are you people? I look up to you. So it literally shatters my world because all of a sudden I'm seeing the five ding-dongs, right, that half and half. I'm like, oh, my word, this is really happening. Then, So then I have to settle it in my heart, right? And realize that we all have a choice. Because I just thought we get born again. We all love Jesus, right? We all just love him and begin to act like it. Then time goes on and uh, another pastor completely falls away. Acts like the goober. Doesn't believe God exists. He's living crazy. I'm like, what's happening? Then another one who genuinely loved Jesus with all of his heart. Had a past of drugs and alcohol. Has a surgery starts taking the narcotics, and within one week is back on crack. Leaves his wife and his kid. He spent years and years in prison. You know, one of the things that he ended up doing. And so, but I, why do I tell you this? Because in that season of my life, it made me realize that I don't want to be one of the ding-dongs. I don't want to be one of the foolish versions that doesn't know how to keep my vessel full. That I want to begin to live my life. How? So I literally, all of my leaders had to do studies on how we aren't this, we don't become a ding dong. <laughs> how do we become the ones that don't fall away? How do I become one of the wise versions and can guarantee it? I can't. The only way that you and I can guarantee it is that we fall upon the rock, that we live a life that is absolutely consumed with who he is. I don't want to justify life. I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus with everything that's within me. I want to live a life that positions myself for more of Christ, more of Christ, more of Christ. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. I want to know you to the deepest part of my being. I want to know you so that when hell and high waters comes and I am scared out of my mind that I go to you, Jesus, and I don't go to anything else. Because on that day when the trumpet sounds, I want to be yours. I want to live that kind of life. It is up to you and I to make sure we are positioning ourselves to not be left behind. To not be left behind. To just say a prayer isn't enough. We must yield. We must truly give our hearts to Jesus. That means everything that's not of Christ has got to go. In every season, not just one season. Are you listening, church? Are you listening? Everything that's not Jesus has to go. He is altogether lovely. He is altogether beautiful. Jesus is enough in and who he is, the perfect Lamb of God. Without one single blemish, without one cry for help, was brought to the slaughter, was brought to the slaughter so that justice might be served for you and I. The beating of Jesus Christ 
the scoffing of Jesus Christ was for you and I. It was so that you and I and all of our idiosyncrasies, all of our ding-dongness, there you go, making up words. You'll remember this one. All of our sin, that was for us. But he died to defeat it. He died so that you and I might have resurrection life flowing through us. Resurrection life that hears a message like today and gets excited on the inside. That gets excited on the inside because we realize that there's a day coming. Whether he comes on a cloud or whether we cross over into our eternity. There's a day coming for you and I. That we get to experience the fullness of his glory. That we get to experience all that he has. That we will live the life for him. I can't wait for that day that I know that my life has not been in vain. Zoe asked me the other day, she said, Mom... What if we're not right? What if it is just stories? How are we going to know? Baby, we're going to know when we cross over. We're going to know that moment we cross over. And in the meantime, let's dive into those stories. Let's dive into the person of Jesus Christ that we might know him in its fullness. Why don't you go ahead and stand with us today? you're at home, just stop all the extra stuff. If you can, go ahead and stand on your feet. And just step into the presence of the Almighty. Step into the presence of the Almighty God. That it's a moment of holiness for you and I. It's a moment of holiness. It's a moment of distinction. We said it last week, but he's, he's saying it again. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. Hebrews says today, 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 if you hear my voice, harden not your hearts, for today is the day of salvation. But preacher lady, I gave my heart to Jesus. Well, we give it to him again. We rededicate ourselves again. I get born again, again all the time. Because it says daily, daily I must be filled. Be ye being filled with the Holy Ghost. How do I be ye being filled? Repent. So that times of refreshing may come. It keeps me in a line with him. Well, why do you have to always repent? Because I'm not Jesus. So we surrender today, Lord. We surrender today, Lord. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day of realignment. Of realignment, of realigning our emotions. Thessalonians talks about being presented complete spirit, soul, and body whole before the Lord. Lord, that he's realigning our thoughts. He's realigning our emotions. He's realigning our wills. Lord, not my will, but yours. Not my desires, oh God, 
but yours. Father, someone's heart cry right now is, Lord, teach me how to love. Yes, teach us all how to love. Teach us how to love our brothers as we love ourselves. Teach us how to do good to those of the faith. Teach us, Lord God, how to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our souls, with all of our strength. God, how do we love you? We want to know, God. Make me to be like you. Make me to be holy like you. Cleanse me and wash me. Cleanse me and wash me, oh God. Light a fire in my belly, Lord. Light a fire in my belly that it's not only words but action. That I walk out of here, that I, that I walk out of my living room for those at home. And I pursue you. Some of you got to go get rid of some magazines. Some of you got to go get rid of some movies. Got to go get rid of that, that music that you have no business listening to. Put it into action to live a life like Christ. Oh, Jesus. Just begin to cry out your own voice. Just begin to cry out in your own voice, God. What is it? What is it that you need to lay before him? What heart attitude? What thought? What desire? Do you want to be made holy? Let him know. Do you want things to be different? Let him know. It's your prayer. It's your prayer he wants to hear. Just like that evangelist said, I'm not ending. Someone at home, he says, today, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. You're at a crossroad. You're at a crossword. There's forgiveness. There's, there's restoration to be had. He'll heal your broken heart. He'll heal your broken heart. But he's calling you today. He's calling you today to give it back to him. He's calling you today. Today is your day. Today is the day of crossroads for you. Choose you this day. Not what you've done in the past. Choose you this day. You. It's not religious games. There were 10 virgins there. There were 10. 10. They all had lamps. They were all in church. They were probably leaders. They were probably volunteers. 10 all had lamps. But when the sound of the trumpet when the bridegroom begins to come, only five were ready. 
Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. It's a crossroad. Jesus, I ask that you breathe life. Breathe life. It's the hardest thing you've ever had to do. You have been hurt, but you have been prideful. He will heal your broken heart, but do not let your pride lead you in the way to destruction. the day you give it up. Today is the day you're going to stop telling the story. You're going to stop clinging to that. Today is the day.